right, welcome back. This is episode two of Dread and Drafts, the podcast where we talk about everything fear while we drink and review everything beer. I am John, and with me, as always, are my co-hostesses with the co-hostesses, Jen. Hello. And Annie. Hello. Do you have reservations? I hope so, because it's time to be hip to be squared. So stop comparing those business cards and hurry and return your videotapes as we review American Psycho. Uh, first, uh, as the top of each episode goes, who is drinking what? Oh, I uh, am kind of starting off the spooky season here. I am drinking uh, the Voodoo Ranger Atomic Pumpkin. It's a spicy little number. Uh, it's a uh, pumpkin ale with some uh, spicy notes with uh, habanero chili peppers, uh, and it's uh, really refreshing. It's actually quite nice, uh, just that right amount of spice at the end, so. I guess I'll go next. I've got um, Passionberry Peach Puff Tart from uh, brewery, uh, The Brewing Project. Um, Newer to Ohio, so I've been enjoying them. It's uh, it's like a fruit cobbler in a glass. I'm really enjoying it. It's a little cloudy, so I don't know. I used to drink it out of the can, but I poured it in a glass today, and <laughs> I'm noticing it. But um, really tasty. Again, new to Ohio, or at least I haven't seen it in the, the supermarket before, so really excited. They're tasty. It does taste fantastic. Um, and then I myself, I went with a local Ohio brewery, uh, the Royal Docks Brewing Company in Canton, Ohio. Uh, and I went with their very delicious, very fancy French Savoir Faire. It's a russet raspberry ale, and I have got to tell you, it is one of the best beers I've had in a long time. Yeah, quite quite delightful. I've had that one. Super it's enjoyable. Really good. Uh, so, um, a question to pose. I thought this would be a little, little, little fun thing uh, to kind. Of, and this can go out to this is going out to uh, us, uh, but it's also can go out to any of our listeners, and they can kind of comment uh, however they feel the need to. I just think this is kind of fun. Uh, so, being you know, as this movie is about stupidly rich yuppies, um, you know, who have more money than they know what to do with. So, let's say that you had this basically assume infinite wealth. Um, you casting all bills aside, not worrying about, oh, I get a new house or get a new car. What are you spending your infinite wealth on? Ooh, that's a good one. You can't spring questions on me like this, John. I have no answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's not that difficult of a question. It's just... You have, you know, all bills aside, not worrying about, oh, you know, upgrading houses or whatever. Yes, because you know as me, the adult in me is screaming, yes, pay off all the bills. No, pay I, I said fuck that. No, we're not worried about that. <laughs> this is just like they are in the movie. You are just buying because you can. You have the money. Literally the definition of the yuppies. They have more money than fucking brains, and this is what they do. So what are you doing with your assumed infinite money? Like, what is definitely one thing that you're, like, doing this, getting this? Honestly, for me, it'd be travel. Like, I would just want to travel 
everywhere and just check out everything. Like that would be my big thing is, you know, I would travel a shit done. I'd probably get a lot more tattoos. Uh, that, that would be a definitely on the book. Uh, <laughs> that's probably the big one for me is travel. So am I a yuppie? I think that's the question. Am I going to have like a yuppie mindset where it's all about No, no, this is just under the assumption that you have the money like they do. And you have the mindset and the simple fact that you're like, you're like, I want to spend this money. So there's no, I'm just going to save it for a rainy day. What are you doing with your money? I I feel like our, our friend Paul has talked about opening up a dog shelter. I feel like... You know, maybe maybe we would just buy some property and 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 get so many dogs. That like, that sounds lovely. Like, like, a, <laughs> like a Dalmatian plantation, but not Dalmatian exclusive. <laughs> I mean, as long as the shelter doesn't turn into like a fucking dog, you know, a puppy mill or something like that. Then no, no, no. Okay. It would be adoption, and if I have unlimited funds and we don't have to, you know, always be seeking food and stuff like that i feel like yeah that would be a buy a fucking giant ranch and rescue all the animals all the dogs no kill yep um i mean both of ours were were rescues so yeah absolutely ours is ours as well so um okay so then the obviously vast amount of that would be going towards the dogs and that's fantastic but what are you doing for you my dogs are for me. Stop. No. <laughs> I'm saying get a little bit selfish. Oh, gosh. It, that's a that's a hard question, like I said, because I don't care about cars, like, at all. Okay, I, but I know you. Right. So, like, I feel like you would, like, literally build yourself, like, a giant fucking library. I, I and you would buy all of the books. And then you would also, like... In there, you would have, like, this vast fucking music collection. Music. I mean, all the things that I love. Dogs, food, music, um, beer. Like, I could have a really cool um, brewery set up where I can try different stuff. Or, like, a... You could go to all the concerts. Mm -hmm. All the concerts. All of them. Like, money is no expense. You're like, backstage, meet the band. Hell yeah. Backstage, I have an onstage pass. Just hang out. Oh, what band is going to want that? <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. Can you? I don't know. <laughs> nope, nope. Just going to chill right gonna here. Chill yeah, I'm sitting here. right here. Fuck off. Here, I have, paid for this. Have another $100 bill. The, the library thing, I have to say, is, is quite... That would be amazing. Like, that's one reason Beauty and the Beast was my favorite as a kid. Literally, that alone, I always wanted that damn library. Like, just amazing. <laughs> I wanted the kitchen where all the shit did shit for, like it did all the cooking. Right. But like, what a kitchen, man. Like, oh, oh, yeah. So great. S- says the chef at the table. Yeah. So. Uh, so I guess for me, the first thing I would do, money no, and money's no object, I ain't got to worry about bills or any of that shit. Uh, I think the first thing I would do is literally go out and I would buy every single fucking D&D book possible of the, you know, every single one so that I can run harder and more fantastic, you know, campaigns for you nerds. Um, and so number one thing, I would do that. Uh, next thing, definitely get that brewery opened. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely get that brewery open. Mm-hmm. It would be fantastic. Have my own brewery, be my own boss. Drink no, all the beer. Drink all the beer. And no one tells me, I think you've had enough. 
because it would literally just be me telling me. <laughs> and, I, and I don't do that negative shit, so. No, no, absolutely not. You know what, John? You had a rough day at work today. You have yourself another beer. That's literally, that would be mine. Like, <laughs> while at work, you're yes, like, you, while you at go work, ahead. Absolutely, yeah, because my work is beer, so that's literally what I would do. Some new person comes in the bar and sees you drinking. Does your boss allow you to drink while on the job? I'm like, let's go ask my boss. <laughs> and then I'd walk out and walk back in. He says it's cool. And I'm like, nah, it's cool. <laughs> How did you talk to your boss that fast? Because I am the boss, bitch. Get out of my brewery. I don't want that negativity. <laughs> I was thinking, what if, what if you also bought property and then to further your D&D ambitions, you just built, like, a one-to-one scale dungeon oh, situation. Holy shit, would that be cool? And like, that would be amazing. Like, um, so you, it would literally be, like, like LARPing, and you guys would be your characters. And we'd just be walking around in this forest, and, like, John has speakers mounted up in yes. trees, like... Kind of be t- that would be I fucking know. terrifying. That's <laughs> so good. It'd be so amazing. Uh, what's that book? See, Mockingjay... Uh, Hunger Games. Hunger Games. Yeah. There we go. You could have that set up, but like, not murdery. Not murdery. <laughs> Only murder hoboey. Po- possibly. But that murder-y? would depend. On, that would depend on y'all, not as, not me. As as the character, as the person who's had a character die in D anD D, possibly murdery. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> um, but other than that, so brewery, D anD D stuff. Um, I honestly think another really cool thing, and I thought about it, if I actually had infinite funds, is I would literally purchase one of the local, like, medieval fairs, and I would run it. Like, it'd be mine. And i put the brewery in that medieval fair. So, like, year-round, you literally have this medieval fair, and then it's this medieval-themed fucking brewery, and how amazing would that be? Like, you so You have cool. to do it somewhere, like... I don't know, Florida or something where it's nice and no, warm. No. Ooh, yeah, because costumes. Like, if you're wearing costumes... So, yeah, the, costumes, uh, but I can't imagine all the sweat. get a lot of people wanting to be outside in, like, December. Horse apples. They fucking live in Ohio. They know what they're Horse expecting anyway. Apples. They know what they're expecting in the winter. If they are dedicated and they want to come have great beer... In an amazing freaking place, you would come. He'd better provide the costume. If I build it, they will come. <laughs> <laughs> baseball, John. No, it's beer. It's more important than baseball. It's beer and medieval slash renaissance slash Dungeons and Dragons. Game, set, match. The the perfect life. Yep. But that's tennis. Set, match, run is arson. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Dad joke. What? <sighs> All right, so let's free and hop on into American Psycho. Yeah, let's do it. Let's. Um, so one big running theme that you see with this, start to finish, is no one knows who the fuck anybody else is. <laughs> and because they all look alike. They all dress alike literally spoken in the first scene when they're all sitting in the restaurant is you'll notice this is Bateman you'll notice that my friends and I all look and behave in a remarkably similar fashion and that theme runs throughout the entire movie oh yeah nobody knows who the fuck anybody is Mm -hmm. Bateman alone gets confused for like three or four different people 
that is not Bateman. Mm-hmm. Davis and... Uh, Mr. Smith and... Yeah, Mr. Smith in that one office building. Yes. Davis by the lawyer. Um, What's the one? Uh, Habersham. Habersham, uh, yeah. That, and that's with... Um, Paul. That's with Paul. Yeah. Halberstrom, thank yeah. you. Uh, with Paul Allen. Yep. So, I mean, you really like... So, who, who really is anybody? And I really think that nailed it because they're so fucking alike. Well, yeah, the movie's all about appearances and consumerism in general. Uh, so, you know... Consumerism. As, consumerism. Uh, no, in... 87 where this is kind of set is like that was huge i mean that was that was that era that was wall street that was that was the era of the yuppie oh heck yeah heck yeah um so yeah that that definitely has a lot to play within this movie is all that appearances and and uh consumerism and just carbon copies of one another 100 percent greed and showmanship yeah, so movie movie itself was done in 2000, uh, so it was set in 1987, though. Um, based in the 1991 novel by Brett Easton Ellis, um, and then written and directed by Mary Heron and uh, Guinevere Turner. Um, kind of cool, it was actually a really low budget. Uh, the budget was only like $7 million for this movie, and most of that was spent on music because the music in this movie is fantastic. All of like your classic 80s hits. Which is also like I, like and you read the book, like does he go into the in-depth explanations about the music as well in the books like he does in the movie? 100%. Like just overboard on over-explaining something to you and going the back history because it's, he's regurgitating information that he's picked up so that he sounds the smartest. He's the smartest man in the room. Um, so he's got to tell you about Whitney Houston and you 2 and uh, Huey, Huey Lewis. Lewis and the, Huey Lewis and the news. Phil Collins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he actually does that in the book. They talk about those, like, the bands. Yeah, and it's funny. And, and I mentioned this uh, when we were talking about the movie uh, a while ago, just the... the the jump jump cut scenes mm-hmm. that go from him murdering someone to him having dinner in a very nice restaurant. Um, same thing in the book. He'll, he'll be just regurgitating this information about a musician, uh, talking about their career and how he really respects them. And he didn't come into their own, and you know, uh, that whole thing. And then immediately cuts to, you know, him just brutally murdering someone. Or, again, him sitting in a restaurant or him critiquing uh, other people in the office's uh, outfits for the day. uh, Going through um, piece by piece what they're wearing. Well, he's wearing a Brooks Brothers tie and something from Armani and the shoes. Well, they could look a little better, but uh, the the tie is exceptional. Just going through the outfits because that's, that's... I don't know. I think he—it's the mental health aspect of this movie that he's getting everything kind of jumbled together. But but just everything's jumbled together. But yeah, he certainly does touch on musicians throughout, um, and just kind of regurgitate information about them. And it's not—it's not even in a—he's passionate about it kind of way. He's just got to be the first person to tell you about it. I mean, he's—that's literally all it is—is. Like you said, he wants to almost be like top dog in the sense, like, I have all of this knowledge of it all. By knowing everything about what's popular and what's going on and what what's the thing to do, he's trying to fit in in that sense. But at the same time... I have to return be... some videotapes. <laughs> yeah. To him. 
That is normalcy. That is the normalcy of mm-hmm. of just basic human life is having to, you know, return videotapes. I mean, obviously in this movie we do see him watching videotapes, mostly horror movies or porn, mm-hmm. but like he's obviously he has videotapes, so that's that is what keeps him in a sense of like normalcy. Mm-hmm. That is his normal life thing as opposed to the rest of his fucked up existence that is Patrick Bateman. Yeah, and like say the scene skipping around that Annie was mentioning, I don't know, to me it, it kind of is interesting because it kind of represents like mental illness in a sense. Like, you know, to him, killing someone is the same as having dinner with this person or being in the office at this point in time or, or you know, whatnot. It, it's honestly all the same to him. Uh, so it's kind of interesting and it kind of represents men- mental illness, I think, in my mind. It kind of shows, like, how, you know, one thing can jump from one to another and, like, like the seam is nothing, so. I think, you know, it also speaks to how insular this group is. Like, it's a yuppie culture and it, it, not a lot of reality kind of intrudes upon, you know, what they're experiencing in their lives. Um, so they hate bums, you know, throughout mm. the whole movie, they're just rude and horrible to uh, the homeless people they encounter, yep. maybe people they encounter that are of a, you know, lower or different social status than them, like the social dry status, cleaners. Uh, race. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. And anyone that's not super rich and super white is, you know, any, that's like open game for them, basically. Mm. Or super male. And even in the movie, like, he, so. he he outwardly says, well, no, you shouldn't say that, or that, you know, that's not PC, a couple of times. It, he actually did at the very beginning of the movie, yeah. when the one guy was talking about, the, I want to say it was a Jewish person. Yeah, they were talking about that. Dreidel. Dreidel. It was talking about, like, the dreidel. Yeah. Because he was like, you know, the you, what, are you going to spin a menorah? He's like, you spin a dreidel. You spin the dreidel. Like, Bateman corrected him. And then he said something about, oh, that Jew bastard, and... Uh, and uh, Bateman called him out and said, like, oh, there's there's no room for, or no no reason to, for that anti-Semitic talk or yes. whatever, whatnot. Uh, but I don't know, necessarily think it was just because he personally felt that way. It was no, just, it, it's just a thing that you're supposed to say. Yeah, I you're think supposed to shut him, that shit them. down. Mm-hmm. And once again, it's his, I'm doing a normal thing. Mm-hmm. The appearance of being PC, but, you know, that performative... Uh, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Performative. Um, basically putting on a show. Yeah, just putting on a yes. show. And, for... um, yeah, just from the very beginning of this movie, like I that the movie literally makes you go, fuck all of these dudes. <laughs> you the, the movie makes you hate them in the first scene. Oh, yeah. Here's your bill. Oh, only 500 whatever dollars. And they all place their Amex cards down. Like, it's fucking nothing. Like, yeah, like what a deal. Like, and then they, because they get these little fancy-ass fucking plates where the food is the tiniest thing. And then you literally see the waiter come over and take their plates away with most of it, like, l- not you, even touched. You never actually see them You never see any. them eat the entire movie. Mm-mm. And, but most, most of it is untouched. And that's it. That's just fucking done. Five hundred and something dollars later. Well, you sometimes lose your appetite when you do so much coke. So much coke. (laughs) All the coke. All the coke (laughs) off your Amex cards. 
I love that, like, in the 80s, there were literal drug stalls, like Coke stalls. In the women's restroom is where they went. Yeah. Three dudes, one stall, snorting Coke, but then one of them commented that he thought it was, like, non-dairy creamer or some shit. He was like, well, I guess we'll just have to do more. It's crazy. And then, then uh, like, uh, the, a guy from the next stall, hey, shut up, I'm trying to do drugs over here. <laughs> like, yeah. Just a totally normal it's thing. Normal. No. It's normal. All the coke. All the coke. All the heart failure. Um, that that scene in the bath. It actually reminded me of um, what Crocodile Dundee when he goes. That's not a knife. This is a knife. <laughs> I mean, not the knife oh, scene. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, they take him to a party to show him off to their yuppie friends. And, oh, uh, the dude with the the fucking. Uh... He thought he had a fucking cold or He was something. sniffing yes. the coke, and he's like, here, put it in water. Yeah, like the boiling <laughs> water, and then he puts his head into the bowl, and he puts the towel over his head. <laughs> yes. I forgot about that. Oh, my God. Also in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah he absolutely. literally went to a a Manhattan yuppie party. <laughs> here, this is how you get rid of a cold. <laughs> he's trying to be nice. The guy's probably like, it's good fucking coke. <laughs> he sees that fucking bidet and he's like, what's this for? He's like, You'll figure it out. He's like, for what? And he leans out the window after a while. He's like, as she's on the street, he's like, for washing your backside. And she's like, that's it. Like, Cheers, sir. <laughs> bidet's coming back into style. So. If you don't use them to wash, you know, your ass and your nether regions in general, then they do, they could be a really grand uh, fountain. Like, Literally just a water fountain. Pretty much, yeah. Kind of. I had a friend yeah. who I mean, was if you installing need a sip of water, it. Just... Ew, ew. It's oh. clean. Yeah. I had a friend who used it as kind of a sink. They were doing construction in their house, and so they had the bidet and the toilet, and it was a really nice bidet. But like they they would use it for like toothbrushing water because oh. they didn't have their sink in yet. They weren't using it for their butts yet. Yeah. See? But it's clean water. It's your house water. It's fine. I know, but the thought of it coming up from the toilet. But it's not the toilet. It's, it's the bidet. And it's clean. No one's touched it yet. There's no fucking dingleberries floating in there. You're fine. <laughs> you could literally use it to let you, you know, to literally step on the thing and use it like a drinking fountain. You'd be fine. <laughs> it's still clean water. If you drink out of your tap by your, any other sink, it would be fine. If it was a brand new thing. If and nobody had gone to the bathroom in there. That is literally what we are saying. Okay. <laughs> and you're still throwing up. I like. know, but it's... Uh... <sighs> Anyways, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, so anyways, we were kind of talking about the budget, too. Uh, I think one of the great things about this movie, like, honestly, if you look at it, like... There's so many people in this movie. The actors hadn't become big yet, and it kind of made the movie that there were a lot of no-name actors in it because you really didn't picture them as anything else. Um, so originally, uh, Lionsgate had wanted to make uh, Oliver Stone the director and do Leo DiCaprio. Uh, this was like right after Titanic and whatnot. Uh, but basically, you know, Leo was kind of talked out of it, saying it would be career suicide and whatnot. And then they went back to Mary Heron and and Christian Bale, who she had wanted Christian Bale from the get go. But yeah, I think Christian Bale worked out fantastically for it. Now, when this movie came out, was it as big as it is now? Because it is a cult classic. Like, was it a huge hit though? 
Uh, you know, I think it was kind of still a hit, but it wasn't. I don't. I think it got bigger as time went on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not 100 percent on that. Uh, I but I, I'm only curious because just with the whole Leonardo DiCaprio thing, and right after Titanic, and yeah, and honestly, so like it's kind of funny, like. It probably would have been better for his career than Titanic was. I mean, let's be honest. Probably. Like, he really only recently, with The Revenant, did he actually win some sort of award, yeah. for fuck's sake. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, before Titanic, it was what? Uh, Romeo and Juliet and What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Gangs of New York, I that think. Was, that, was, that was after no, Titanic. that was after. Really? That was yes, later, that yeah. was after Titanic. What a great movie that is, though. Well, Love it, that one. Honestly, like, I think he got, like way better as time went on. I mean, look at him in uh, Django Unchained. Like, he played yes. that crazy part so well. He played that part well. Actually cut his hand, too, in that oh, movie. Oh, he did. Yes. Yeah, and he just played it off. Just played it off, yeah. yeah. that wasn't supposed to be part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he cut it, and he just kept going with it, and they kept it in. Like, he he's an excellent actor. Yeah, he's fantastic. He definitely, in later years, has come into his own. Um, I mean, I loved him, you know, back in the day, and, and, and his, you know, like... What's Eating Gilbert Grape? I fucking love that movie. I, like It was a good movie. Yeah. Early Johnny Depp, too, so. Early-ish Johnny Depp. Ish, yeah. Yeah. Johnny Depp was probably from What's Eating Gilbert. It goes back, like, another decade to yeah. um, Nightmare on Elm Nightmare. Street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know about either of those two, but is Christian Bale typical? Uh, I mean, I know Christian Bale is typically kind of a method actor where he really takes on you Truly know the does. character mm-hmm. loses a bunch of weight gains a bunch of weight mm-hmm. like uh what was the movie he did machinist. right after the, the machinist yeah. Was, oh yeah. yeah yeah a cup of coffee and an apple a day yeah he looked like i think he was like 90 pounds he was Something tiny like that. Yeah. he that is if you haven't watched it that's a fantastic movie also and i feel like he's bulking up for another role pretty soon or has done mm-hmm. recently but so like just this this back and forth and like really commits to inhabiting the character. Well, he truly even, does. Even for this movie, he didn't even know he had the role yet. I mean, um, Mary Heron had basically wanted him for the role, but before he even knew it, for nine months he was training and working out every day and bulking up and getting ready for this movie. And he was already preparing for it, well, not sure. even knowing if he had the role. I and mean, I'm when, like, he, that's when he fantastic. commits, he commits. Yeah. Like, that, I really feel like that's what makes him like one of the greatest actors. Oh, he is, yeah. Because of that, like, and I mean, he's a good actor to begin with. And I know there have been so many people that when the uh, the Batman trilogy with him in mm-hmm. it, where you know everyone like made fun of his Batman voice because he made his voice deeper. I was like, he was just doing what anybody else would do. Mm-hmm. He was just, a, yes, he had money, uh, but I mean, he was just a dude, regular dude. And then he was like, well, how do I disguise myself? Yeah. I changed my voice. He couldn't go in there just sounding like Bruce Wayne. True. So, I mean. Yeah. Uh, fun little tidbit uh, I, I had found out about this movie. So when he was kind of prepping for this role, he envisioned two people as, like, basically kind of what he wanted to act like as Patrick Bateman. So the first one was Tom Cruise. He wanted that like dead behind the eyes look that Tom Cruise has. No, that's the Scientology we're doing. Well, that one. Yeah. <laughs> and Nicolas Cage. So like oh. during the scenes where he's like going crazy, he wanted to kind of envision himself almost like Nicolas Cage, like how obviously Nicolas Cage does like crazy ass scenes. So I think he hit hit the mark pretty damn well. Yeah. Uh, so many of his movies have been outstanding, but American Psycho is truly... Like, I know amongst the horror fans, they love it. 
But like outside of that, I really feel that American Psycho is probably a slightly underappreciated movie for just being a fantastic movie. Like horror stuff aside, thriller stuff aside, it is a great movie. Yeah, because I wouldn't necessarily call it like a horror horror. It's a, like a psychological, psychological psychological horror or thriller, yeah. So. And then the, really the first scene, though, you see him breaking down is very shortly after the first, when they're in the bar and that one, the the bartender will not take his drink tickets because it's after like 11 o'clock or whatever it is. And then he's like staring at himself in the mirror, but he's talking to her and he basically talks about, you know, like stabbing her to death and playing in her blood and shit. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first time where you really saw the breakdown. He's like the crack in the facade. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah he, I mean, he was still covering it up because it was a loud club. He knew nobody could hear him, mm-hmm. but, yeah. I mean, they very much could have just called the movie, like, like Patrick Bateman Beneath the Mask. Be- <laughs> I, like, seriously, though. Like, literally, it's like a VH1 fucking special. Like, this is really what's going on. Kind when of. he's acting like this behind the scenes, mm-hmm. this is going on. I wonder I, I wonder about how the book was doing at the time. It, it made it to uh, number 53 on a list of banned and um, books that weren't you weren't supposed to be reading sure, sure. for a number of reasons. And, you know, there's any number of reasons that a book could end up on that list. I feel there's probably a big handful of books that should be on that list that aren't on that list. Yeah, and it's usually some... Twilight? <laughs> <laughs> but the moms love, love it. Fifty Shades of Grey. Basically, it's Twilight. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Just... Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, uh, no. I, mean, I really feel like Twilight could have been could have done so much better had they took out the aspect of the teen romance shit. Get rid of Bella. Get rid of Edward. Get rid of Jacob. The main character is Bella's dad. <laughs> his best friend is a werewolf, and one of his good friends that he associates with as a, a as a police officer is the Doctor, who's a vampire. And then you have that team up against the clan of asshole vampires that are coming to town to fuck shit up. What a great movie that would have made. Yeah, that actually could have. Someone do it. <laughs> or just let it die. No, fuck that. Every, they're remaking everything else. Remake Twilight as a better movie. Get rid of all that bullshit teenage <sighs> romance shit and make a better like action flick, like supernatural action movie. Well, then, do that. But then you're just, you've got to get more, a, a different source material. Just different source material. And then create your whole new... No, you just call it fan fiction and you can make it. <laughs> I mean, that seems to work for some people. Ugh. Fan fiction. That's what Fifty Shades was. I'm just cringing much. over here. Cringing. <laughs> I know. But basically the band book list is just a list of books that these Karen moms and the, you know, PTA yes. basically said, well, we don't want our kids reading this filth. So. Yeah, it's, Here's the Bible. I mean, Judy Bloom is, <laughs> Judy Bloom is on that book. Judy or on that Bloom list. is what, on that Super list? Fudge? The, no. <laughs> Just the challenged and banned book list. No, oh not Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. How can you put that on the list? <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, it's just it, it, <laughs> that that's on there. Um, I think it, it, it's uh, "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret." <laughs> she might have another one on there, but just like books that that 
for some reason offend somebody's sensibilities. And I think a lot of them on there are like uh, transgressive fiction. So mm. uh, books like Fight Club or anything by Polonic and yeah. um, and a couple of his actually. I think more than one of his. Oh, Ellis's? Yeah. Um, but it's just books that, that somebody finds offensive. Someone said... Yeah, this is what we want our children reading. Then they clutched was, their pearls and maybe oh, it's, fainted. It's probably the same people of the you know OK Boomer generation who, when they hear anything involving mental health, they it's a, let's keep this hush, hush hush and sweep it under the rug, because in their generation, how dare someone be afflicted by some type of a mental illness? <gasps> I know, what? right? Like, let's not talk about it. Let's keep it under the rug and beat them with freaking sticks and stuff and, until they act normal or we'll just lock them up forever. Like, unfortunately, that's probably the same people who banned a lot of these books. Probably. I mean, some of them do deserve to be on this book that maybe you don't want your children to read, like Fifty Shades of Grey, which made it to the 2010 to 2019 list. Um, but why... They're not... I mean... You should know by looking at the book what fucking book your kid should or should not be reading. But then it's it's side by side with books like Anne Frank and uh, Clockwork Orange, which Clockwork Orange should not be read by children. You and, agreed on that one. I well, mean, it's check a, that off the bedtime book for Flynn because wow. <laughs> but then word. Captain Underpants is on here, so it's just what? So, I know. I know. Why is Captain Underpants banned? <laughs> it's so offended. I am offended now. That is a great series. Another book that I mentioned today, Hunger Games. That's on here. Uh, I wish I wish my face could translate through the podcast right now. Yeah, it just is Harry Potter on there. I feel like they would have put Harry Potter on there at one point. Not magic. Oh, probably, but magic and witchcraft. Oh no, when did she finish that? That's the devil's work, right there. But then again, people might might protest her recent uh, maunderings on social media as a reason to not read her book. No, no, no. no, no. Listen, she's a cunt, hands down. (laughs) Everybody gets that. J.K. Rowling, you're a cunt. (laughs) She is literally like just said. You know, that trans women are not women and basically F them all. That is her words, not mine. Um, She's a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. She's a big old piece of shit. But we should be able to, as, you know, fans who grew up with the Harry Potter universe, I choose to just keep that and my fond memories of that and my love of Harry Potter separate from J.K. Rowling being a righteous fucking cunt. End of story. Like, don't ruin something that somebody loves in that sense, you know, just pure creativity and imagination, because the author turned out to be a bitch. Yeah, agreed. Well, in the spirit of, of, of avoiding making something unavailable just because you don't agree with it, or because someone doesn't agree with it, I think, you know, that's a big theme in the movie as well. He's not editing himself, he's not... Um, he's not even hiding parts of himself from other people. Uh, he, he does a terrible job of hiding murders in the movie. Right. He does a terrible job of not talking about serial killers in polite company. So he's just, you know, he doesn't self-edit. He doesn't, you know, put on a filter for other people. He's just, you know, he wants to fit in. Mm-hmm. But I think he has such a hard time... Um, 
figuring out what that means. Like, well, he, like he, he doesn't really know what to say and what not to say in the sense of like, is this really kosher to say at the table? When he's talking about Ed Gein and he's yes, quoting Ed yeah, Gein. Yeah, that was exactly uh, the scene I was going to bring up. Yeah. yeah. And like, is, is like, like he doesn't like read the room well. Like, I, I really think like that is just moot for him. It's just, he cannot read situations. Yeah. And the other, I love that scene. Like the other people just kind of look at him like, okay. They're like, ha, 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 ha. Well, because they're. They're fake. also pieces of shits. They're, they're, well, they're, they're all they're, fucking fake anyway. They're so. no better than than him in this movie, and and in general, I think that's that's kind of the the thought. But I, th- I think in yuppie culture, that's like a highlight would be just to be <sighs> assholery is kind of a a badge of honor is kind of a funny thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. an he's an asshole because he's always uh, quoting. Um, serial killers, or that guy's an asshole because he, you know, doesn't tip, or you know, or like that guy's an asshole because he's a misogynist. But he mean he's you know he he means he means well, like he means that well. Type of he shit. married his his girlfriend of ten years. He just abused a string of ladies on down the line. And or he's you know he's he's married to his girlfriend, but she's fucking so and so, and he's fucking so and so. So what's that matter? Literally, you know, in this this movie as well. Yeah, fidelity doesn't seem to be a very big deal to anyone. Um, even though, uh, you know, even I don't know. In the book, it se- really seems like Evelyn is cheating on him with um, one of his good friends. Justin Thoreau's character. Yeah. Um, I can't remember his name right now. But, uh, but yeah. it really seems like she's cheating on him with him, and that doesn't seem to bother him. I mean, it's not that he cares about Evelyn in the first place, but I feel like as a... He's sleeping with Courtney. Right. Lewis's, and, and, and Lewis doesn't even really care. So, like, Lewis, uh, the one when he has dinner, dinner with Courtney that one time, and she's all doped up on lithium and whatever she is, uh, lies and say they're going to Dorcia, and... Lewis in the next day is like, oh, thanks for taking care of Courtney last night. Dorcia, how did you get in there? Like, that's the only thing he cared about. <laughs> Reservations. And then later on, when he's dragging the bloody duffel bag out of the apartment, Lewis has another chick with him, like, yes. on his arm, and sees him, like, oh, where'd you get that overnight bag? <laughs> but yeah. it was a really nice overnight bag. It was a really, really nice, nice one. Yes, bag. yes. I love that he's just leaving a bloody trail throughout the entire. I do love dump. that, like of the the yuppie males, though. Yeah, Lewis is one of the very few who knows he's... Bateman for Bateman. Like one of the always hey, Patrick. Patrick never calls him Bateman. It's always Patrick. Everyone else, if they do say his name, like his group of you know dipshits that always sit with him, it's Bateman. They mm-hmm. never say Patrick. It's always Bateman. The only two that ever call him Patrick are Evelyn. No, sorry, three. Evelyn, Gene, uh, and Lewis. Mm. Yeah, and Lewis is the only one who's unique of the group. Like, he wears a bow tie versus a regular hair. tie. Yeah, he has the red hair. Uh, he ends up having a very unique business card after, and you know, later on. the only on. one of the group that also wants to blow Patrick Payton. Very much so. So he's either bisexual or gay or whatnot. Yes. Um, 
And yeah, and that kind of sets him apart a little bit. And that's, uh, you know, kind of one point that pisses Patrick off later on in the movie, too, uh, when when Lewis ends up pulling out his new business card. And well, it looks- that, and speaking of the business cards, we'll hop back to that scene then really quick. Oh, yeah. Let's hop back to the dick showing contest of <laughs> Pierce and Pierce, because that's literally all it is. Every fucking business card looks the same. And and Patrick initiates it. Yes. He's like, get this, gentlemen. Yep. Oh, yes. Because um, he's anticipating that no one else is going to have the quality and refinement that his does. But Exactly. But then out of all of them, the one who literally wasn't even there in the room anymore, but they were like, well, let's see Allen's. And they, the one dude pulls out Paul mm-hmm. Allen's card. And, like, Patrick Bateman, like... He starts it, sweating. Yes. <laughs> he literally got a chubby over the freaking... <laughs> amazing business card that looked just like his business card. Yeah, they, and they all look exactly the same. Damn near, yes. Uh, you is know, basically white? like is a it? bone or white yeah, yeah. coloring and, you know, the same the raised curly. lettering. Yeah, but they're all just just slightly different. Slightly different, just like them. But yeah, but all exactly the same. Uh, and something that, that you had pointed out, which cracked me up because when I, I went back and I rewatched it, yeah. and all the cards had acquisitions spelled wrong yep. you you'd said that and i was like really really and so i went back and watched it and you're fucking right it, it, all of them so all attention to detail for everything else oh my god this little detail this this bone white or this tan or blah 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 and, and then they all spelled ac- mergers and acquisitions wrong um which i think is fucking hilarious and definitely very purposeful so yeah they all were they all like literally like it was like copying off of someone's test to the point where they damn near copied someone's name down like, mm-hmm. you know um so then he gets so pissed off that paul allen's card was the best and beat him not only did he just de- he just developed this vendetta for paul allen he leaves he's walking down the alley and he kills the homeless dude and then stomps his dog to death mm. over a business card. Yeah, and and that scene is so sad, you know. And of course, we always bring up the the dog thing. Like, oh, that's that's always the worst. Like, you know, obviously many people are killed in this movie, but we're like, oh, the <laughs> dog. The or don't stuff the kitty in the ATM, Patrick. No. Not the little kitty cat. Such a cute stuff the old kitty. woman inside instead. But like, <laughs> is that just? Kind of human nature, nature though, where you care more about the animals than you do some of those asshole people. I guess. No offense to the homeless guy, like you know. No, he just, no, But no. I'm just saying, like. And it was so sad because he was so thankful, like, yes, you know, please help me, you know. And Patrick's kind of playing with him, fucking job. toying with yes. him, and like, then why don't you get a fucking job? Yeah. yeah, I mean, he literally cat and moused him. Yeah. Like, you know, he literally was just fucking with him until mm-hmm. he killed him. Yeah. Now here's a question that we talked about a little bit um, before, but did he really kill him? Did is this sort of a? And that goes into more. So you read the book, Annie, and you know I've heard the book is such a hard read. But you know you can maybe explain a little bit more on that that aspect. Um, in the book, it really seems like you know while initially it sounds like he just straight up murders this guy, he stabs him a number of times. Um, in the face, in the stomach, um, and the dog. I think he he also murders later on in the book. He encounters an, a homeless person who has facial scars that he recognizes and kind of makes reference to 
having stabbed this gentleman in the face before, is this something that he does often in a similar manner? Or did he just imagine killing him and, and imagine finishing the job and he really just like brutalized him without actually murdering him? Or is it just, you know, a coincidence and it's just a completely different homeless person with a dog that he's now uh, abusing later on in the book? So I think the argument could be made several ways. You know, maybe he does kill some people. Maybe he's killed all the people he thinks he has. And that was something um, I thought was really interesting. And more on that later. We'll we'll go over each of our opinions in the end and kind of uh, tell tell what we all Who'd think. Who done it? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, because that has definitely been a big point of controversy with this film is, you know, the ambiguous ending, basically. So... He even kind of says in the next scene, like, his mask of sanity is about to slip, basically. So the show that he puts on for everybody is is kind of slipping just at the sheer furiousness he has over Paul Allen, like, beating him and being better than him. And so. But he does one-up Paul Allen in one of my favorite movie scenes of any movie. <laughs> it really is fantastic. It is amazing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If we're hopping into it, we're hopping into it. Yeah, yes. Because I'm quoting this, I... It's just the best. Yeah, so they're in Bateman's apartment, and Paul Allen is obviously drunk, sitting in the chair, and Bateman is kind of perusing his CDs. And he's, you know, do you like Huey Lewis in the news? And they're okay. Uh, and then he did, and this, like Anne was talking about earlier, he then he goes on to just damn near, it's like a, like a re- music review that was done by someone else. You know, and then... Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste, but then sports came out in 1983. I think they really came into their own commercially and artistically. Uh, and then he walks into the bathroom and he takes out this giant fucking axe, and then he pops some Valium. <laughs> um, as one does. Yes, uh, the whole album has a cr- clear, crisp, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that gives the songs a big boost. And he like. Fucking moonwalks out of <laughs> his little crazy dance yes. too is and so fucking funny. The, he sets the axe, you know, and he puts on this raincoat. Uh, the entire time he's just like staring at Paul Allen, who's literally not even paying attention to him. I was like, "Is that a raincoat?" Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> and then you know he slides over to the CD player and he takes the CD uh, out of its case and he puts it in the machine. He's like, "In 1987, Huey released this for their most accomplished album." I think I aired Undisputed Masterpiece is Hip to be Square. A song so catchy that most people probably don't listen to the lyrics, but they should, because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of trends. It's a personal statement about the band itself. And then he puts on Hip to be Square, and he crosses he crosses the room, and just, he does that fucking little shimmy dance. Oh, it's fucking great. And it is fantastic. And then he grabs the axe... And then just very casually just goes, hey, Paul, (laughs) fucking just axes his ass. (laughs) And it is just. It is. It's perfect. It's hilarious. And then he screams at Alan and he says, try getting a reservation at Dorcia now, you fucking stupid bastard. (laughs) Kill them in his little fit of jealousy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All over a business card and because he was able to get reservations at Dorcia. Pretty because much. we are not going anywhere without reservations. Another oh, thing yeah, they yeah. Con- constantly say every time they're talking about where they're going out to eat. Which I never fucking understood because they're in one place. 
and they're drinking and shit, and then they're like, where are we going out to eat? Just fucking eat where you are. All about appearances, yes. again. Yeah, it's not about what you're eating, it's about who's seeing you mm-hmm. do it. Um, there's one scene where Patrick is particularly perverse, um, and he doesn't order the potato or the french fry or the hash it was a hash brown sorry hash um and and it's a restaurant that's known for their hash brown so you know you want to be seen it's like um it's like the instagram of the yes like without taking the food pictures and posting every single meal on instagram that is what this world was you just had to be seen doing with it. it you had yeah. to be seen with that ha- with the hash brown oh, on oh i the plate. saw you eating the hash brown you know i, I saw you at dorsey <laughs> 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 saw you at dorsey like it's yeah it's about seeing and being seen and seeing who else is there with you um mm. there's a couple times where someone says oh is that donald trump over there and patrick like loses his mind because that's his idol yes. just the the symbol of commercialism and i think when the book was written a lot of this was about kind of like donald trump was huge at that time with wall street and with that um and you know all politics aside and whatnot but that was just kind of the symbol of the time basically 100%. Yeah, yeah 100 definitely like the king of yuppies mm-hmm. in the late 80s like that's when you know his business was huge like he was like a king of wall street yeah and i do have to say so you know we were just talking about the scene where he kills paul um one of the reasons we decided to do this movie for this podcast uh there's a band that we listen to called ice nine kills and they recently came out with a single hip to be scared uh it's uh featuring jacoby shaddix of papa roach and uh it basically mimics this movie and you know kind of sings about this movie and they mimic that scene in the video and it's fucking hilarious and they're basically making fun of themselves in this in this video and it's hilarious so if you're a metal fan go check out them just uh, in general a horror fan yeah horror fan too because they pay they literally pay homage to so many great horror movies yeah and yeah, hip to be scared. I fucking love it. And when they do that scene, it is just amazing. It's and he spot does on. the shimmy dance too. So like, yeah, their whole last album, uh, Silver Scream, was literally all about different horror movies, um, and it just freaking fantastic. Did so one for Child's Play. Oh yeah, That's the, the new the new the one coming out. Really yeah, good. so amazing. Absolutely love Ice Nine Kills. Hands down, one of my top five favorite bands. They are so fantastic. Oh, yeah. Super fun. Super fun. Check it out. Um, But, yeah, so, and then after, basically, um, you know, he kills Paul and whatnot, uh, we kind of mentioned the overnight bag with Lewis and whatnot, and that he's he's, uh, pulling Paul's body out in this John Paul Gautier bag. um, And and then taking him to his other apartment. He has Mm -hmm. this little shithole apartment in, like, Hell's Kitchen or something, and he just sticks him in, like, a a freaking tub of acid Mm -hmm. so he can start just slowly decaying and falling apart and everything so then i love i love the scene because he goes to paul's apartment to kind of make it look like that paul's on a trip in london somewhere and he you know records a different message whatnot and it's funny because he walks in and he he has this sheer moment of panic not because of what he did but because paul's apartment is nicer and you know it's overlooking the park and this and that and it just kind of makes me laugh. Um, and that's the great thing about the movie versus the book is it's very satirical and it makes it kind of amusing and fun in that manner. And then you, the, so like 
with the constant jump arounds, then the next thing you see after that is he's in his office, and that's when um, Kimball shows up, mm-hmm. the detective. And of note here, so, you know, he, he tries to tell his secretary, you know, oh, I'm at lunch. Uh, it's 1030. I'm pretty sure he knows you're here. So he comes in, he pretends to be on the phone, and he's talking about a bold striped suit basically needs a solid shirt and, you know, talking this, like, trend advice, you know, to somebody he's pretending to be on the phone. And I think it's kind of funny because later on in the movie, when he has a, a date with his secretary, he's literally wearing a striped suit with a striped shirt and, like, a, this goofy-ass tie. And I think it's very purposeful because he basically just doesn't give a shit. So, you know, she shows up in this nice dress and looking nice because he's told her, you know, oh, don't wear a business suit, wear a dress with high heels. Um, And he's wearing this, like, clowny-ass suit with a striped shirt. And I think they do that purposefully. I don't Um, know. The whole whole book, every, every scene that isn't about murdering someone, and even the ones that are, he does go into, you know, what's what people are wearing, um, what uh, what brands they've got on. So I feel like, you know, even if it doesn't look great that it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. So. It's okay. A, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, you're buying it because it's the label type deal. Like Yes, yeah. It can look so fucking disgusting, but because it's Armani, you're buying it type of deal. Yeah, so... You know, like I mentioned, every every scene that he kind of goes into in the book, it's like uh, Libby is blonde and wearing black grass grain high-heeled evening shoes with an exaggeratedly pointed toe and red satin bows by Yves Saint Laurent. Daisy is blonder and wearing black satin tapered toe pumps set off by spattered silver sheer black stockings by Betsy Johnson. Like, even the women. He knows what the women are wearing. He knows what the men are wearing. Um, and it's, it's just... You know, like the business cards, just this. Uh, but it's just this, like, comparing con- contest of, like, who's got on what. And so I feel like if he was dressed in a way that didn't look great, he must have had some really great labels. Probably. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so Defoe comes in and just kind of asks him about... Campbell. Oh. But it is Defoe. Defoe. It is Defoe, yes. It is Defoe. It's Willem Defoe. It, it, it is Kimball. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so comes in, kind of joking around with him. Uh, you know, they talk about the Yale thing, like doing coke and being closetly gay and whatnot. And, you know, kind of joking around about that. So I found all the scenes with Defoe, um, Kimball, Kimball, my bad. Uh, I was just kidding. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so all the scenes with them, like, you kind of really never get the idea whether Kimball has an idea whether Patrick's involved or not. So, like, sometimes he's joking around, he seems, like, oblivious, and sometimes he's, like, suspicious, or... I think at best he may have been suspicious, wasn't 100% sure, uh, because he's asking these questions in this first scene with him. And he's asking, you know, what do you know? Where did you go to school? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And then he kind of gets down to, don't you already know this? Mm-hmm. I just wanted to see what you know, Patrick. Yeah. You know, and, and then at later scenes, he's asking him more questions. And he, but like, then he's like, then at one point, they're literally at a restaurant together. And for the most part, it's just a very casual lunch type deal. So I did some research on this. Okay. So turns out that Defoe did three takes of each scene. Okay. So 
each scene that he has with Bateman, he took three different shots. One where he didn't know and he was just kind of oblivious. Mm-hmm. One where he was suspicious and one where he knew. And they literally interchanged them throughout the movie so that it was confusing. So, so that you, were, you didn't know as the viewer. As the viewer, you had no idea. Was he suspicious? Did he know? Did he not know? Um, which I think was kind of ingenious. I love him as an... What an amazing actor. Oh, yeah. He... So amazing. 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 Yeah, Always for sure. Always just the, the most knowledgeable person. Mm-hmm. Like, nine times out of ten. Like, even when he's a dick, he's like this... He's super intelligent. Symbology. Think of him as, What's that? Symbology. Symbology. <laughs> Symbolism. Uh, but like, think of it as the Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. Like he knew from just subtle signs that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. Oh yeah, he picked it up real quick. Yes, and then you know, um, it, as him as the detective in Boondock Saints, like he just solved like everything. Mm-hmm. So even beyond the amazing acting that he did in this movie, I really feel like I attributed a lot of knowledge to him that maybe he didn't have, or maybe he did have just based on how he was playing for for that, you know, go through of the scene. But, you know, Boondock Saints had just come out the year prior, Mm -hmm. and I have definitely watched that way more than I've watched American Psycho. So I always attribute that, you know, sharpness to his character's no matter what he's playing. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. It's it's tough not to see him in another role and not think of him like with Boondock Saints and that part that he played. I, I really guess with Defoe, it would depend on what movie you've watched the most with him in it. True. Whereas for me, it's probably a toss-up between him as uh, Norman Osborn and him as the detective in Boondock Saints. Because I used to binge Boondock Saints, because it was such—it's such a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's people, there's actors that I just attribute a lot of gravitas to, like uh, Willem Dafoe, um, Richard Jenkins. Anytime he's in a thing, he brings like this. Just this he, guy knows what he's doing. Oh yeah, he does. But yeah, so after the scene, excuse the the dog collar shaking in the background. Um, after the scene, this is where the the scene is where he picks up the street hooker. Um, yes, you you will answer to Christy. So her name might not actually be Christy, but he doesn't give a shit. He nope. says you will answer to Christy. Um, and then show you know show off scene basically also calls an escort service to say I can basically afford anything. Calls himself Paul Allen while doing this. As one would. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then, um, you know, is super, super misogynistic in this this whole scene with them. And such a dick. Um, Except for the fact that he does love Phil Collins and Genesis. <laughs> that is not a dick thing. Because I 100% <laughs> agree with him. Invisible Touch is the group's undisputed masterpiece. I love that song wholeheartedly. <laughs> Phil Collins thought it was really funny that he, he was did. Yeah. brought up in his <laughs> Really? <laughs> Which I find that great that that he he loved that he was brought up in this movie. 
Um, but otherwise in this scene, like you see some really degrading stuff, basically to women, you know, he makes the, the hooker bathe and wash her vagina and, um, do it from the backside, all sexy like, and then the escort comes in and says, oh, you will answer to Sabrina basically. And kind of gets cocky and like, oh, well, you're not exactly blonde, are you? Because apparently well, he, he specifically blonde. asked for, for a blonde. A blonde. Mm-hmm. And he got like a dirty blonde. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dirty blonde. She was a dirty blonde. Mm-hmm. That she was. And then, so he's talking with them. And gets real cocky, like, oh, don't you want to know what I do? And, and they uh, don't care. You know, like, that, they don't care. That's a very nice Chardonnay. You're, drink, you're, you're not drinking over there. Why don't, why don't you drink that? Um, but, then, but then Christy does, you know, ask about the apartment. you got a really nice place here. You know, how much did it cost? That's none of your business. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, to ask specifics like that would be gauche. You're supposed yes. to know, like, you know, a range. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, then while he's reviewing Phil Collins, basically starts instructing the women to do very degrading scenes. Like, well, you know, you know, show show your ass to uh, Sabrina there. Oh, oh, you know, obviously, Sabrina, you need to eat Christie's ass there. So, and don't then, just look at it. <laughs> eat it. Eat it. <laughs> uh, and then I love like the sex scene. Strangely compelling, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just dolls, though. They're just yeah. He, he doesn't care. And then, like, even during the sex scene, like, he's just staring at himself in the mirror, like, while he's flexing and, and whatnot. He's literally just staring at himself the whole time. He's just kind of playing out the scene in a, a movie that he's watched or this porno that he's rented a bunch of times. It's, you know, it's not, I don't know, it's, it's weirdly rehearsed. And then, uh, you know, you see them kind of passed out sleeping and the girls are getting up and ready to leave and uh, he goes into a drawer and grabs a wire coat hanger it's like we're not done here yet and you see them rushing out the door with like basically beaten bloodied you know with this coat hanger and uh, And whatever else was used because it was another blackout scene Mm -hmm. yeah but you did forget to mention that they had a whole sex montage to Susudio (laughs) that's very important write that down I won't be writing that down. I didn't. I didn't feel I needed to write that down, but okay. It's a. It's a quote from Van Wilder. Write that down. Oh really? Okay. I don't remember that. Like I wrote some important things down. Like, yes. Yes. I wrote um, nipples oddly widely spaced. You truly did. Um, <laughs> then when we look back and we're like, I have no idea I don't what that note why. means. Uh, what was the other one you wrote down that I actually remembered? The- you were like, I wrote pube poof, and you're like, oh yeah, that's- oh yeah, it's the tanning bed scene. Yeah, you um, can literally see his little pube poof. So, well, it was the 1980s. Like, it wasn't a thing to really do to shave your fucking pubes off, especially as a male. <laughs> Probably to even trim them. Probably not. But yeah, you can see, you can see Patrick Bateman's little little poof, little poof, little poof. Secondary sex characteristics through the ages. A podcast <laughs> by John. Well, I feel I have to have my own spinoff podcast now. <laughs> Maybe. Um, Start talking with medieval bushes. I mean, they used to have to shave because of lice, and then in order to not appear weird, they would get like a wig for down there. Really? Fun facts. I did not know that. A pube wig. I want to say it's called a merkin, but I don't remember. Merkin. 
I don't know why my mind went to Murloc. Like this isn't this isn't Warcraft. No, is, <laughs> <laughs> we're not getting all Murgle Burgle here. Okay? Yeah, but it's a it's a pubic wig. Cool. Oh, fun oh, facts. Fun, yeah. Fun historical facts of pubes. Whoop. I feel like they probably sell those on eBay. eBay? Fuck, you probably get on Amazon. Yeah, it come from China though, and like. But like, why? Why Native. would you do that? I don't know. I'm just saying, you could find anything on the internet. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a, just something that you should do. I'm just saying you could. Yeah. If you really had a desire to, or just for a pure, you know, comical effect as like a gift for someone, have a bargain. <laughs> Notice you're losing a little hair up top, and I was worried that <laughs> you were losing a little hair down below. <laughs> hey, so I got hey you guys. An Afro Merkin. So, so John's birthday is coming up. Shut the fuck so... up. <laughs> So, you know, you know what maybe you could get him for his birthday. Well, listeners. you'd want it to match. What color would you say John's hair is currently? I, it's it's a dark brown, but okay. with little hints of every other color. <laughs> pretty much. Just his, like well, my pubes. Well, his beard, his beard has a little red, a few blondes, you know, it's a little mixed mixed bag, but mostly dark brown. So black. Like if you get a weird package that you don't recognize on your front door, don't open it because one hundred percent. Don't open it because then I will definitely put it in and then I'd show you my weird package. I don't <laughs> Oh <laughs> Look at my Merkin. <laughs> Next time we go over to your house, Hannah's gonna have like this <laughs> Oh god. This oh I I don't know why I pictured pictured her with like a little Elvis wig on. <laughs> Hannah is our dog, by the way, so she, if you see a picture of Hannah with an Elvis wig or a Merkin, you'll know why. They can't send me any gifts for my birthday because they don't know where to send it to. Ooh. Or do they? Yet. <laughs> it's the internet, John. No, that's fair. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll, I'll, I'll just get a post the P.O. box eventually and like send it. Still gonna, still gonna send it. <laughs> oh god! All right, so um, moving on with the movie. So uh, you know, kind of goes on, and this is kind of the the thing we're talking about with the Ed Gein quote. Like, there are no girls with good personalities, and talking about like, oh, when I see a pretty girl, I think I think two things. You know, oh, what'd it be like to walk down the street with her or something like that, and what her head would like look like on a stake. Uh, and he just laughs, thinking it's hilarious, and you know, he and the guy's very awkwardly going. Coolly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Sure. Oh, it's classic Bateman. Yep. And then I believe it. Then we get into the bathroom scene mm-hmm. with Lewis. Um, so he gets pissed off about Lewis's business card. This is where Lewis would. Lewis shows his business card, and he basically goes to choke him in the bathroom. He puts on some gloves, walks up behind him, and goes to choke him. And <laughs> in the stall, like it's not just yeah, it's it's not just like in the just the general vicinity of said bathroom. It's in the stall, and then Carruthers is like, "Oh man, hell oh, yeah, oh Patrick!" And then he starts get trying to get all over Bateman, and he like kisses his hand. Oh, I thought I I thought you'd never act on it. Like he he's talking like he, I've seen your looks towards me. Like he thinks. Bateman has been, like, eyeing him, basically, and trying to get with him. And, and I mean, 
Bateman has just been casting baleful glances at him, like, yeah, doesn't want anything to do with him. And it's, you know, I think uh, in the book he he's thinking about Courtney and and how would Courtney feel if I just murdered her boyfriend? Like, yep. would she be upset? Would that ruin my relationship with Courtney? And he, you know, I don't think he cares that much because then he does put on the gloves and go. Uh, he, he goes to kill him. Yeah. And instead, Crothers like wants to, you know, wants to suck his dick off, like. And he is so perturbed by this, like he starts sweating and getting anxious, and he goes and he just washes his gloves and runs the fuck out of the bathroom. Yeah. And Lewis comes out like, "Where are you going?" He's like, Call "I gotta return some videotapes." And then he's like, "Call me Bateman." <laughs> He's like, oh, fuck. And he just runs out. <laughs> but yeah. And then he goes back to Courtney's house and fucks her just to prove a point that, like, it's a, I am a heterosexual. It's a very sad sex scene, too, because she tries to have a serious talk with him. Like, will I see you before Easter? And Thanksgiving. And, uh, I thought it was Easter. It was Thanksgiving. I mean, sure? she was just high. Either way. Uh, anyways, will I see you before now? And, like, she, you can tell she kind of has feelings and and patrick just doesn't give a shit um and she's just high and sad and whatever but well that's that's the i think the frustrating thing as a a lady viewer of this movie is you're watching this and it's just accepted that women are going to be treated you know at best like material possessions and then at worst just garbage garbage disposable replaceable interchangeable Mm -hmm. and you know i think that's really difficult to watch and to put your head around because you know these these are are women who have complex feelings complex uh you know agendas what is courtney even doing with lewis and with bateman what is the females in this movie the majority of them not all of them the majority of them are just as big as pieces of shit as the males are they're literally only with people for the money. It's the society that they're yeah. all in, yeah. which is why they are also the pieces of shit, too, because they're also fucking around, and they're in there for the money, mm-hmm. which we see with Evelyn planning the wedding, you know, and talking to Bateman when he doesn't give a fuck the entire time. But you don't explore it very much. Like, you don't see... I don't know, and I guess that's the point of the movie, too, is you don't really see the innermost thoughts of most of these people. They're all just that surface shallow uh oh yeah the only inner thoughts we really truly see are Bateman's and he's just saying how much you know he doesn't fit in with everybody else I look like a person but I'm not that person yeah Yeah, I'm I'm not even there I love that quote in the beginning of the movie too when he's doing his whole routine in the bathroom and all that fun stuff and and you know there's an idea of a Patrick Bateman uh, uh but there is no real me basically that's some pretty heavy shit, though. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, the the monologue of him throughout this movie, some of it is like, fuck, that's deep, man. Yeah. You could argue that this is just the idea of all the different type of, you know, people in, in this world, in this uh, Wall Street world and whatnot, that, like, literally Patrick Bateman envisions and embodies all of them. Um, that he is just kind of an idea of all of all of this lifestyle. So, all right, and then um, so next we kind of see them in this club, uh, you know, talking to some chicks, all all the guys, and this is where they do the the coke stalls and all that fun stuff. And um, I love they're talking to these these chicks, these blonde chicks, and uh, literally 
Patrick says, I'm into murders and executions, which is where, you know, that whole line comes from. And she she hears nothing. Like, it's a loud cub, whatnot. And you basically see him leave with this model and talking to him. And then this is another one of those cutscenes where, like, literally you see him playing with a lock of her hair in his office while doing a crossword uh, in his office. And literally the crossword is all, like, meat, bones, you know, all these graphic words. He's just putting in whatever the hell he wants into this crossword. Uh, and then Jean comes in and says, oh, you need help with the crossword? And basically that's kind of when he asked Jean to dinner, um and uh whatnot she seems kind of suspicious because he he calls dorcia and dorcia is like oh no we don't have any reservations and he's like oh great awesome we'll see you then and she seems a little suspicious uh well yeah when she says you didn't give a name yeah they know me yeah oh they just know me they know me regardless uh she does show up at his apartment later uh and uh this is kind of the scene where you know he's he's planning on killing gene with a nail gun we yeah you see him perusing everything in his apartment they're having a discussion talking she's on the couch and he's walking around he's like playing with these knives and has a roll of duct tape and just this and that and then has the nail gun just because randomly obviously you need a nail gun in your apartment in new york well he he really just needs it for the murders jen (laughs) and he has he has that infinite income to where he can buy a nail gun Mm -hmm. and he's you know i think he was maybe at least careful about that and is doing those purchases with cash and not on his probably amex but uh, well hopefully possibly i mean whatever if he gets caught he's a terrible person he truly is pretty much um but yeah and then um evelyn calls and she's just kind of like oh well maybe gene maybe i should go and basically, he realizes he's not enjoying it because he likes the fear. He likes the excitement of it. And there's something about it that he's just not enjoying it and says, okay, yeah, you should go. I don't know if I can control myself. And she's thinking it's the fact that oh. I can't, even though I, I'm still technically with Evelyn, I won't be able to control myself physically and sexually around you. When in reality, it's I'm not, I don't know if I can control myself and not fucking kill you. Mm-hmm. Basically said, I might hurt you, um, obviously. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, then so, so she goes. And from here, basically, uh, honestly, the movie starts going really fast. Like the first bit of the movie, you know, kind of goes normal speed, whatever. And then from here, like everything just is a whirlwind. Normal um, speed, so is, would you say that that's a medium pace? A medium pace. <laughs> a medium pace. And a medium pace. I mean, I wouldn't have said that in front of John, but... Yeah, you never want to say the phrase medium pace No, it's a trigger. No, it's a trigger. No, it's a trigger. Absolutely. But yeah, and then I think we have another scene with Kimball. Um, yes, where uh, he shows him the Huey Lewis... Uh, yeah, oh, do you like Huey yeah. Lewis in the news? <laughs> and... and he gets kind of suspicious because that's what he says to Paul when he kills him. And he's like, uh, no, not my style. <laughs> and I think at this point, like, Kimball literally is, he just really digs Patrick as a person. Mm-hmm. Truly does. And he's just trying to, like, develop some sort of a bond with Patrick as a friend. Like, 
He's yeah, like there's... A, well, because he's not from the yuppie class. He's, a... he's not. True. Yeah. And he wants to almost get into that without yeah. having the money to right. get into that. To develop that yeah. relationship and see if, you know, he could be like somebody Patrick asks out to lunch every now and again or something. Like, something like that, yes. You know, throughout the movie and in the book, too, people are just falling all over themselves trying to make this group of entitled rich people just you know happy or comfortable or whatever like mm-hmm. they can be the shittiest of people to the wait staff to the maitre d to you know delivery people to people in their office yeah. you know you know insulting uh jeans clothing to her face yes. that's not you know you don't look good in that you know what other group of people are allowed to do that and in this movie nobody it's everybody's bowing and scraping trying to get in with that group even if they can't achieve that level they can at least be you know a trusted servant or something mm-hmm. yeah creepy and gross <laughs> creepy and gross because what group is that in the patriarchy <laughs> <laughs> we knew it was coming i sat on it for a while <laughs> you're waiting you're just waiting um so from there he kind of picks up he picks up christy again and despite being basically scared and like oh she's scared out of her mind i had to go to the emergency room the last time and you know but money talks my friends said i should get a lawyer Mm -hmm. like oh why why get that that that'll be costly whatnot how about you know i just pay you i just help you out and despite money and here's a check like red flag christy red flag (laughs) yeah don't, don't go for it. You're don't go gonna, for you're it. You're not going to be able to cash that check, Christy. <laughs> and basically takes her to Paul's apartment then. And is with uh, another friend of his. God, what was her name? Also disposable. Uh, yeah, I don't even... Was it the same chick that he saw in Elizabeth. the... Elizabeth. Yeah, no. in the... Wasn't the same chick he saw in the laundry place, was no, it? No, that was somebody else in his building. I okay. think her, yeah, I think Elizabeth is her name, and she's a, an acquaintance or a... Somebody he used to date or something like that. Somebody that he used to know. Somebody he used to know. And he did have to cut her off, though. <laughs> Cringing. <laughs> and, you know, he try, he's up to the same old tricks. Uh, he tries to... Well, he does. He does drug them. So mm-hmm. he's just trying to get them to where they can be players in his act. Here's the thing with that scene. That kills me, yes. <clears throat> so Christy fucking watches Christy him. Christy is staring at his ass as he's cracking these pills open and pouring them into the bottle. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth has her back to him, but she is looking right at him because she doesn't trust his ass still, and he's cracking these pills open and just pouring them the fuck in this bottle, and then he goes, you haven't drank your wine yet. And she drinks it. She really don't actually see her drink it, though. You see her put it up to her mouth, but I don't know if she actually drinks no, it. No, and I think, you I mean, know, Definitely not like Elizabeth did, because you see oh. shortly later how... Christy's able to move quick. Yeah, Christy yeah. is. So Elizabeth just. Christy's kind of clued into something. Like, she already doesn't about. trust the situation. So I don't think she does drink it. I think that her speedy More exit. Of a of, right. Yeah. She's like, you know, I really hope this money is going to pan out for me. And, you know, she's not doing what she's doing for the fun. She's yeah. doing it. It's a job. And I think. Well, a job's still a job. I mean. <laughs> 
Shows the Z job. What? 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 If, if you don't know what it is, you can't afford it. That's yeah, if you got to ask, can't afford it. All right, well. <laughs> <laughs> keep that question to myself then. <laughs> um, no, but I think that she definitely has it imbibed in the, uh, the drugged wine because... Elizabeth is definitely into things and, and maybe yeah, not like, aware of what's happening to her until it's far, had, far too late. Yeah, she has no clue. She's, like, falling off the couch and they're kind of having sex. Well, she's uh, laughing because he's listening to fucking Whitney Houston. Oh, yeah, and he, and goes, on, he that, goes on the streak again, the review streak of Whitney yeah. Houston. And it kind of pissed him off because he, he loves it. And it pissed him off because she was giggling and making fun of him, kind of, because he was listening to Whitney Houston. And obviously, like, you know, so they... they they fuck and it's a terrible like out of focus home video that you kind of see with the three of them well and then uh so christy christy quote unquote kind of gets out and tries to sneak out yeah she sees them um underneath the blankets kind of rolling around whatnot and then all you all of a sudden you see the blankets start getting soaked with blood you don't know quite what's going on but she panics she's like fuck and you see his face kind of pop out and like basically i think he used his mouth of some sorts maybe yeah well to bite. I, I, no, i'm 100 he did yeah because then shortly after she's trying to escape and he grabbed catches her by the leg and he fucking bites her leg she kicks him in the face and he's like not the face bitch because yep. <laughs> of course that's all he cares that's about the money maker mm-hmm. um but yeah so little subtle cannibalism in it which i think if correct me if i'm wrong annie but in the book he does cannibalism? I mean, he's super gross yeah he he makes people sausage in the book and mm. that's pretty nice he, that he's making people sausage he thinks he does and, he it, and we're talking like hannibal lecter i'd like to have you for dinner not like come on over we'll have pizza so like not- with fava beans and a fine chianti Type of thing, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not making people sausage. Like here, have some sausage. Making people sausage. Oh no, I got it. I was just, oh, I know. Yeah, I was just being very, you know, like a dick. So <laughs> you never. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that scene is kind of disturbing because you just see the blood soak through, and so as she's running fucking naked through this this apartment, you see she finds all these damn dead bodies like the two of hang, them hanging three two three two hanging in the closet and then one in the bathroom in the bathroom the one in the bathroom was elizabeth what mm-hmm. no elizabeth was just no, no the one in the bathroom was the hooker that he cut off her hair i think i thought he i thought like, uh, the, well the whole thing with this movie is he kills more people than you actually think oh yeah no because like even in the the beginning he's walking down the street and the girl was at the atm and he kind of awkwardly says hi to her and she's like oh okay well he's a businessman it's fine it's fine and they kind of walk through the crosswalk and then that next scene he's in the uh laundry place with the bloody sheets yeah and like screaming at the owners yeah and you realize kind of later like oh shit that was yeah he killed her and that was her on the bloody sheet allegedly (laughs) Allegedly. So, yeah, then uh, we hear the chainsaw start up. Mm-hmm. And she is running, and you're thinking, like, oh, shit, yeah, she's going to get out. She's she pounding on the hallway. Door. She's beating on the door, uh, you know, the neighbor's door. She's running down the stairs. She's running down the stairs, and he just stops, and he starts dangling the chainsaw over the open 
And I want to call out here that it's it's not a very safety feature rich model. No, I, it's still running <laughs> even though he's no longer holding the the trigger. So well, this is the eighties. So I mean, yeah, it was safety question mark. Yeah, and I mean, even the nail gun. I mean, technically, like nail guns, technically you. Uh, you know, need to have it pressed against something and, you know, their safety features and whatnot, but people always make nail guns in movies like, oh, they work like a regular gun. You can just shoot them and they'll fly across the room. Um, but I know that there are some nail guns out there that, like, the slightest touch, it'll yeah, just fucking go off. you can definitely staple your pant leg to your leg. Just Ow. as an option. All I know is, in this scene, he has some amazing knowledge of physics. Because he drops that chainsaw at the exact right moment for it to, because like if you think about it, it generally it should have hit her in the head. Yeah. But instead, it like hit her in the lower back side area. Mm -hmm. And to me, I'm like, how does that? How did he? Did he? She slip? (laughs) But. He so, also somehow finds time to put tennis shoes on. He does find time so to put tennis shoes on. So he's running fucking naked through the hallway with, with tennis shoes. And, and, and fucking tennis shoes. You're like, when did he put tennis shoes on? <laughs> unless he was at some, unless he was also fucking in said tennis shoes. I don't know. I can't imagine. I wasn't really like, watching for tennis shoes at that point. I, I feel like if you're worried about your sheets i mean technically it's paul allen's apartment but if you're worried about your sheets and you're worried about that you wouldn't wear tennis shoes in the bed because they're expensive sheets they're not his sheets valid yeah so anyway she gets a chainsaw to the back Mm -hmm. maybe we do a video later on like see how fast you can put your tennis shoes on and grab a chainsaw like if you know where both are yeah well obviously he did had it ready to go. But, like, we could do a video, like, you know, shoes, chainsaw. Let's go. Make it a race. <laughs> I bet I win. I'm just saying. All right, so we need to find an exact replica of said apartment and said staircase. No, we don't. Yes, we do. No, because you don't need any of that just to see how fast you can put on shoes. No, because then if I drop a chainsaw, we're going to see where it hits, but we're not going to use you. We'll just use, like, a dummy or something at that point. That's, uh, that's really sweet of you, John. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, from here, things get just crazy quickly. Uh, we'd go to, which I find fucking hilarious. Uh, the restaurant name is Crayon. Crayons. Like literally, oh yeah, crayons, yeah. They literally, like you're drawing on the table with crayons. All of these restaurants, all these restaurants are terrible, terrible names. There's a, I think a deck chairs. Uh, The the original one at the beginning was pastels. 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 Uh, but yeah, so we're at Crayons. And he is drawing on the paper tablecloth the chainsaw sticking out of, obviously, Christie's back. Meanwhile, Evelyn's talking about the wedding and whatnot. And then this is where he breaks up with Evelyn and just like, yep, nope, th- I'm done. Yeah. And ugly. She's like, what about our friends? Your friends are my friends. And he's like, I, I really don't care. He's like, fucking keep them. And delightfully, she does the same whimpery cry in this movie and in Legally Blonde. And she made <laughs> Legally Blonde just a year later. She might have been even filming Probably. it as this movie was coming out. So um, just a nice juxtaposition of what's happening as she's being dumped by 
you know, honestly, two assholes in two different movies. And she's like, mm. <laughs> Who was the asshole that dumped her in the other movie? Her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. That actor. Oh, gosh. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, it did. I don't know. I couldn't tell you, so... I mean, it wasn't Christian Bale, so... No, it... Not that Christian Bale's an asshole, but Patrick Bateman's character is the asshole. Well, yeah, yeah. What is his name? Uh, I can picture his face, but... I sure... I don't know if I ever saw the movie, so... Really? You would probably like it. Probably. I do love chick flicks. Luke, <laughs> Luke Wilson? Oh, no, that's uh, Owen Wilson's brother. Wow. No, that's no, brother. no, 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 no. That's yeah. a lie. That's a lie. That's that's her love interest in that. There we go. Okay, his name is not any of those things. It's um, Warner Huntington. Warner. That's his actual name. No, that's his. The character. Name. That's his character. Character name. I'm doing a terrible job here. I can't find it. I am DB that shit. It doesn't really matter, but. We could just ask. Yeah. Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alexa, who plays Warner Huntington in Legally Blonde? Here's something I found on the web. According to Broadway.com, Legally Blonde also stars Christian Borel as Emmett Forrest, Orpheus Paulette. Matthew Davis. Matthew, okay. Little, little sidebar there. I Alexa don't know why we canceled. needed to... Don't know why we needed to know that. Because uh, curiosity, I wanted to know. Okay. okay. Are you a cat? Nope. So I'm not going to. Then you're safe. Hooray. Hells up. Um, Unless Patrick Bateman's nearby. No. Well, you're not a blonde hooker, so you're okay. Yeah, you're not a Allegedly. woman. You have agency. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> um, so after this starts the fucking crazy ass chase scene where and this is where this the psychosis like you're like hmm yeah this this definitely can't really be happening where he's at the uh atm and the little little kitten just kind of rubs by his legs and he's like oh hey kitty you know and then the atm's like oh feed me a cat feed me a stray cat and he's like, okay, fine, whatever, and starts trying Weird to sh- request, but shove okay. this cat into the ATM. Here you go, strange Terminator robot. Realizes it won't fit, and then gets a gun out. <laughs> and this little old lady comes by and is like, hey, don't do that. And then he just fucking shoots the little old lady. Just fucking shoots her. She seemed like a busybody. She's probably, probably. Also a super rich bitch. Probably. She's in that neighborhood. Immediately, the cop sirens start going. Like, immediately. Uh, and starts this wicked freaking chase of cops and Patrick Bateman where it, the shootout occurs. I played that game as a kid. Cops and Patrick Bateman. Yeah, you didn't play Cops and Robbers. You played Cops and Patrick Bateman. That was the <laughs> game you played. <laughs> I did not. I didn't either. It just it sounds like a new kids game that you could play. It kind of does. Because, you know, like, it's no longer PC to play, like, cowboys and Indians. Mm-hmm. And, like, cops and robbers, I guess you could play. But, like, if you sh- if everyone shows their children's their children American Psycho, then they can play cops and Patrick Bateman where it's one against the rest. Yeah, I don't know if that's... But then you have special psychosis powers, like blowing up a cop car. <laughs> with one shot. With one shot. <laughs> and then... The cop car behind it also exploding in a giant Hollywood explosion. Because what kid would not love those effects when you're playing your imaginary games? This is true. 
But Which they, is literally what Patrick Bateman was doing, playing his imaginary game. I mean, is this a world where there's no longer Transformers, or... Why? Why are Transformers in this? What? Epic explosions, Jennifer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, how do we get to Transformers? I think she meant Transformers the electrical boxes, not Transformers the robots. Uh, yeah, that's exactly where my mind went Oh, to. no, I 100% meant the robots. Oh, did you really? Well, it's what kids play with these days, isn't it? I don't know. I don't either. You have one. Minecraft and Lego. That's what he plays with. Okay. Well, there's... Mario. Super Mario. You know, he did burn down that uh, Minecraft house you built him. He truly did. (laughs) (laughs) He fucking destroyed that. (laughs) Maybe he's a little closer to Patrick Bateman than you'd like to think. Well, then he can play cops and Patrick Bateman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, fuck. Um... (laughs) Uh, I'll start teaching him the skincare routine now, so then he's ready for when he's old. I don't think we can hang out anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to keep start keeping my gun by the nightstand oh again. Oh my gosh! <laughs> anyway, sidebar. Uh, shocker. This podcast what? sidebars. That, that was definitely the movie, Jen. I remember so, that never happens in podcasts. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bar off to the side. You just go drink there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sounds fun. Well, let's go. I'm out of beer. (laughs) I am out of beer. I also am out of beer. I'll I'll refill refill us, and then (laughs) you you keep going. So continue, Jen, Um, with with this amazing, amazing realistic thing. Oh, super. Super. Amazing. Runs into another building, and somebody mistakes him. Security guard mistakes him for Mr. Smith. Oh, burning the midnight oil away, and uh, uh, shoots him. Obviously, leave no, leave no. Bateman shoots the security guard. The guy does not shoot him. Uh, valid. Yes. Uh, so realizes that he's in the wrong fucking office building. Even though it looks exactly so like his. similar, and then he's running out. And a janitor's coming out of the elevator, and he turns around. He goes, this is, this is such a great scene. He's going through the revolving door and comes back in and shoots the fucking janitor, and then continues his way back out again. That was kind of fun. And yes. then he runs into his building, hurries and signs in the sign-in sheet, and runs up to his office. <laughs> and then we see these fucking... We hear helicopters, and you hear police sirens, and then you see the searchlights... And they basically uh, hit right on his office building. Like, these things knew exactly where he was hiding. And so he calls his uh, lawyer and does this big, long confession, basically. Uh, and talking about how he killed all these people, like five or ten hookers, strippers, or, you know, whatever. And Rough. models, and, and this and that, and homeless people. Like ten or... 20 or more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, like, the numbers keep going up and, like, has no exactly idea. And then at the end, oh, and I killed Paul Allen. <laughs> like, because, of course, that's, like, the top of his list because, like, that's his prize thing. He killed Paul Allen. And, you know, he's like, I just, I, and he gets upset and he's like, I don't think I'm going to be able to get away with it anymore. Um, and that's really the only reason he gets upset is, like, I don't think I can get away with it anymore. And kind of honestly par to the rest of the movie it just skips scenes again to him in the shower you know like nothing ever happened like he just escaped you know no big deal and he goes to paul's apartment 
And he finds it being renovated and like painted and whatnot. Yeah, you literally see the paint buckets and everything. Yeah. All over everything is super crystal white. Like everything is brand new, fresh paint. And you're like, he goes to the closet. There's nobody in the closet, no dead bodies, anything like that. And you're like, well, what the fuck? You know, what did this even happen? What not? And so the lady uh, that is selling the apartment, oh yeah, you know, uh, did you see us in the times? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, that must be. I saw it in the Times, and we. Didn't- it wasn't in the Times, she says. Yeah, because she she does not believe his story. She's not buying Patrick Bateman. She's she's suspicious. She's super suspicious, and uh, probably rightfully so. So um, this this scene is is pretty close to what's in the book. But in the book, he doesn't actually make it into the apartment. She kind of stops him at the door, and she's like, mm, no. Um, just go away. She doesn't want trouble. I think, I feel like this apartment definitely was damaged in some way. Perhaps there was a body or two. Um, But anyway, it was a situation that needed cleaning up. And this lady knows that he's a shady character. You know, no matter what level that is, I think there's a bit of a spectrum there that you could kind of um, say might have happened or might be, you know, likely. Well, and this is one really big, I think, point of contention for the ambiguity of this movie and why people are like, well, did did he really kill all these people? Did he not? You know, what's true? What's not? You know, he comes back to this apartment and she's like, oh, there is no Paul Allen here. Uh, and, you know, it's all clean and ready to sell and whatnot. And you're like, well, was he ever in there? Was there ever any was there ever any dead bodies in there um but i think the way she acts and the fact that she is questioning of him and very suspicious and whatnot i honestly think there was and that they're just trying to cover it up because they don't want for their you know picture of things they don't want you know people to know oh hey there's dead bodies in this building because that's not going to sell for them and it's a money cow for them this apartment's a nice apartment whatnot it's going to be a money cow for them so i think they covered it up and they're like "Eh, yeah we're just going to cover this up this never happened uh and then we're going to sell it but yeah so that that is one thing ambiguity wise that you know people have definitely brought up over the years is you know did it really happen did it not were the bodies ever there and then I believe is his lunch dinner date. Well, first he calls Gene in hysterics. Yes, from uh, the phone booth. Yes, uh, and you know, kind of calling calling her and very hysterical. Uh, and she finds his doodles, finds doodles of all these basically murders that he's done. Fine doodles they were. <laughs> in a in his date book, his yeah. calendar book. Oh yeah, his calendar book, yeah. And she, you can tell, is just very perturbed by these. Like, this is probably one of the only scenes, too, that uh, Patrick isn't in. Most of the movie, honestly, is Patrick from Patrick's point of view, where he literally is in every scene. But this is probably one of the only scenes in the movie where it's just her. Um, and you kind of just see her getting very disturbed by all these doodles of all these thoughts going in his head and and crazy fucking drawings. I wonder if they did that just for context, because I don't think they did that in the book. I don't think there's a scene, because the whole book is told from Patrick's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, if that scene was in the book, I don't recall it, uh, with the doodles. But they're very, I mean, they're very Deadpool doodle-esque. Yes. Like, just... <laughs> 
some nut job drawing doodles of death. Yeah. But less cute than Deadpool. Yeah. Less cute. (laughs) No unicorn. Yeah. Oh, I thought we just meant, like, people. I was going to say, like, yeah, Ryan Reynolds is definitely more attractive than Christian Bale. No offense to Christian Bale, but... And it's Marvel versus DC. Fair. So... I mean, I know which side I come down on. Or go down on. <laughs> Certainly. I mean... Words matter, John, and that is not what I said. <laughs> that is what I heard. <laughs> oh, and so the, the pinnacle end of the movie, basically, he, he goes to this lunch... With Kimball. With... No, no, no. Oh. I don't think it was with Kimball. No, it was the with his final friends. scene is with his douchebag no, friends. No, he goes, he goes, and he's with he's with Defoe, and Defoe tells him, the you know that Alan was seen in London. No, and he says, no, 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 no. That was the lawyer that said that. No, 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 no. And he says that you know, um, Halbersham says that he was having dinner. That was an earlier scene. I mean, it doesn't really matter. He does have a showdown with Defoe slash But then he says that, you know, he tells him that, like, there's all these people there that can point Halbersham with an alibi, and one of those people there was Bateman. And then Bateman was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot. That must have been the other night that I had dinner with Carol. So that's kind of where Defoe kind of got off of his back. So that's, you know, done and over it. So I apologize for backtracking. Mm-hmm. But. I mean, you did say the final scene. So we were, like, ready to talk about his asshole friends. That's but. fair. Because doesn't he, like, run up to the window of this place? And he starts, like, fixing his hair in the window. Mm-hmm. He sees the lawyer through the window. Well, yeah, because he, he was in hysterics talking to Gene and, like, looked crazy, basically. Uh, and then goes, sees his friends, and then sees the lawyer. And basically goes up to the lawyer, and the lawyer thinks he's somebody else. Yes. And, and literally thinks the entire thing's a joke. Yes. And Bateman's literally there telling him, hey, you know, no, I killed all these people. It really was true. And the lawyer gets real serious about it, and he's like, uh, that can't be true, because I saw Paul Allen in London. I had dinner with him twice. And it gets real serious about it. And Bateman's just so fucking confused. <laughs> and basically Laura's like, don't worry about it. It's, you know, no, it can't be true. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah. And Bateman's like, no, it was me. It was definitely me. And like, ah, and it's not funny. Like, yeah. I mean, literally just calling, calling Bateman away. out to Bateman's face yeah. because he thought he was Davis. And was like, Bateman's basically a spineless bitch. He wouldn't do something like that. Yep. Like, and Bateman's like... It's me. It's me. You're my lawyer. You should know. And even his, his lawyer, the guy he pays, gets some people confused. It doesn't matter because no. he doesn't ever see the person he takes money from. Exactly. It's just on paper. Yep. Um, Shut up and take my money. <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is, in the book, it Patrick's extended family is mentioned in an offhanded kind of way. His mom seems like she, maybe she's in a an institution of some kind, and his brother is a a younger asshole and it seems like his father may have needed a lawyer for various shady reasons but 
you know, I, I would anticipate that the lawyer, you know, knows the name of the accounts. Like they talk about the whole movie. They talk about accounts, you know, who has what account. Uh, Paul Allen has the whatever account. Um, and, and so, you know, unless they're eating dinner and being seen by other people, they're just names. They're just. Yes. And again, it's that faceless group of rich, wealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, buttholes. So thank you. Buttholes. The perfect word. Yeah, and then uh, basically, so kind of goes to a monologue from Bateman then talking about everything, and, and this has, this confession has meant nothing. Um, he got away scot-free. Yeah, he got away scot-free. And whether it be... And this is kind of where the debate comes in. Everyone. Everyone. You know, hey, this movie has been out for 21 years, and it's still the point where everybody has different opinions on it. Um, and, you know, I'll kind of see, you know, where everybody's opinions lie with this. Um, did he really do it? Did he imagine some of it? Did he, um, you know, imagine all of it? Um, honestly, my point of view is that he did do all of it. You know, throughout the movie, we see people get mixed up. Um, so, you know, very end of the movie, the lawyers obviously doesn't even fucking know he's Bateman. And he says he had dinner with Paul Allen twice in London. Uh, did he really have dinner with Paul Allen? Or did he confuse Paul Allen with somebody else? Um, I honestly think that everything was kind of covered up because... One, he's yuppie, he's money. Um, you know, so the apartment complex, Paul Allen's apartment complex, I think they covered it up. And I think that being, you know, rich kind of grants you special things that you get away with a lot of shit. And that's kind of part of the movie that they're they're showing that you have special privileges, you get away with a bunch of shit. And obviously, yeah, there's some psychosis moments in the movie with the ATM, feed me a stray cat, you know, whatnot. Obviously, that's not real. But uh, to me, honestly, I think he killed everybody in the movie that he said he did. Um, That's my point of view of it, and that having that privilege, having that uh, money allowed him to get away with it and whatnot. Um, You go, you go, John. I'm I'm still... I'm thinking. You're st- okay. Uh, so I'm going to hop on the absolute opposite train. For the simple fact of the very few scenes, the ATM cat up to the lawyer phone call. Before that phone call was made, you had the ATM cat, the old woman being shot, the police officer being shot, the police car exploding... Everybody apparently in the entire uh, police department after him, the helicopters, the searchlights. So that scene and the notebook, you know, of all of his doodles and drawings of literally to the T every single kill that he allegedly did is drawn in this notebook. And you look through the note as she's flipping the notebook. You see like a normal month, a normal you know date. The um, next page was also normal, and the third, the next page she turned to. That's kind of when like I think mentally he snapped, and then, then you know the next few pages are just a bunch of fucked up doodles. I think it was literally all in his head, and he just imagined and wanted it all to happen because of his jealousy, because of the the society they were in. 
he, you know, wanted this terrible shit because it was somehow a different from the very boring monotony that was the life of Patrick Bateman. I think I want to come down in the middle. I think, you know, he's a terrible person. I think he's materialistic and greedy and selfish and masochistic, sadistic, like just... What terrible words you could apply to this person. A well-oiled douche. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I... (laughs) But I feel like... I don't know. I think something definitely happened. If not exactly to Paul Allen, I think it probably was Paul Allen, but I, I feel like maybe... If it wasn't, it was another person that maybe he mistook for Paul Allen that he murdered, and that's why that lady was so suspicious of him. Because he just dropped by, and she's like, where did you see? She's trying to catch him out in something. Um, And then she immediately is suspicious. Like, she doesn't let her view of what's clearly a wealthy, well-to-do person sway her into showing him the apartment. She in In the movie, she does, but in the book, she certainly doesn't. Like, she doesn't let that that interpretation of him being a wealthy, well-to-do person who who would reasonably be there to look at an apartment um, get the best of her. So I think, yeah, he, he probably killed some people but did not maybe kill all the people he thinks he did. There's a couple examples in the book where they kind of revisit like that homeless person and his dog where it seems like they're dead and then they come back and uh, maybe not. Um, yeah, so I think there's a couple of... Of things that make me think that he is terrible, he did terrible things, but maybe not all the terrible Some things. Some of it was just in his head that yeah. he really wished to do these terrible things, but didn't. And thought he did, possibly. And that's honestly kind of, uh, it actually kind of works out well that all three of us had different opinions on this. And that's definitely something that I would want to hear from the listeners, too. Like yeah, their what do you think? Their thoughts and opinions, what do you think? Do you think he did this? Do you think it was all in his head? Do you, you think, think it he partially? Did a bit of it? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to hear you know everyone's thoughts and opinions about it. But yeah, so please let us know. Send us a message. Let us know what you think. So that being said... Um, Thank you for listening to our second episode of Dread and Drafts. The next episode, we are going to be getting away from the norms of just horror slash psychological. And we're going to be delving into the little bit more of the horror psychological thriller of the sci-fi world. Mm -hmm. Psychological thriller horror in space. Space. No one can hear you scream. Unless there's an atmosphere around you. and yeah, you Then can. they can hear you scream um, in space, and then you prove that theory wrong. Science. And anyway. With the movie. Which is it? it, it see, it's... I, I it's want, I, I want to see Deep Impact. It's but certainly not. It's not... Because that, that, that's either a sci-fi or a porno. What? So Bateman would probably totally be about either of those. Oh my god. Not Deep Impact. We are going over Event Horizon. It is Event Horizon is what I said. <laughs> also could be a porno, the Event Horizon. Oh, um, okay. I mean... Oh. That's what I said. I said Event Horizon. <laughs> So Event Horizon is what we're going to be reviewing on the next episode. Uh, so we hope you guys had... A hell of a time. We know we did. This is actually becoming a very, very fun thing that we truly do enjoy doing. We love drinking. We love watching movies. And we love doing this and getting time to hang out together and talk and discuss. 
and you know allow you guys to sit in on our fucked up sessions so until next time you're welcome we look forward to seeing you then i am john i am jen i'm annie (laughs) and we shall see you soon stay safe out there (laughs) bye now bye